Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. My name is Haley. If this is your first time listening, I'm a D1 at the University of Michigan School of Dentistry. And today we have another guest, Joyce the Dentist. Dr. Joyce Kong is joining us. And it was such a great episode. I'm so excited for you all to listen to it. We talk about her time teaching at USC, practice ownership, how she purchased her practice, her just journey from dental school to residency, associating, and then having her practice. And then finally, we also definitely touch on social media since Dr. Joyce is so great with Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all of it. So she gives some good insight on getting started as a dental student. But before we get into that episode, I did want to do my typical intro. It's going to be pretty short and sweet because I'm getting ready to go on a little trip to northern Michigan to relax during my dental school break. So that's kind of a life update. I'm on finishing up the first week of my two weeks off before D1 fall starts. We just finished D1 summer. As you guys heard in the last episode recapping about finals, I didn't obviously have my total scores, but I do now and finals went well. I'm pretty happy with how the semester went. As you guys know, it started off pretty rough for me just transitioning into dental school. So I think that overall I adjusted pretty well and things turned out pretty decent. And I'm definitely really looking forward to the fall. I'm very optimistic that things are going to go even a little bit better. I'm sure it's going to be new challenges ahead with taking 23 credits instead of taking 10 this summer where they just kind of warm us up. So it's going to be interesting, but you guys will be along for the ride. Every intro of every episode, I'll be keeping you up to date. And you can also check out my YouTube channel, just my name, Haley Schultz. But the other update I did want to give is that we got an email explaining how our D1 orientation, the in-person portion is going to go. As you know, since we were online this summer, we had a virtual orientation back in June, but we're doing a little bit of in-person orientation, just the mandatory activities of picking up our kits for SimLab, getting our headshots taken, and getting assigned our benches for SimLab. We got an email with our bench number, and it's funny, I'm next to one of my friends from undergrad, like, what are the odds of our whole class of 100 people? And then also, I just, like, as soon as I read, like, this is Haley Schultz, bench number, whatever, I literally, like, almost started crying, which is so funny. I think it's just because it's been such a weird time being an online dental student that at least getting to go in for this twice a week for a couple hours a week to work in SimLab is going to just make everything feel much more real. And I think for me, I just need more of those tangible things to keep me motivated in school because it's just been really weird not actually being around classmates and not having any, I guess, just like real incentive to be working. Like you have to be so, so self-motivated with online classes, which I know, but I think that going into the dental school is going to provide a lot of extra motivation and living with one of my classmates now that I get to move to Ann Arbor. Me and Amanda are going to be really good about keeping each other motivated. And speaking of motivation, our motivation for the week comes from the book that I've been reading over break. It's called Untamed by Glennon Doyle. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. It's popping up everywhere, but I've been waiting until break to get a chance to read it. So far, I would definitely recommend it. I'm only halfway through, though, so I can't give you a full review. But the motivation that I got from it that I want to share with you guys is to kind of think back to when you were a little kid and just like how fearless you were in a way and just how unbothered you were with what other people were doing and what other people thought like all that mattered was you having fun you being happy you being yourself and you would just like 
stand up in front of your whole family and like sing a song or something silly that little kids do. But like now maybe you would not have that kind of confidence or you think, oh, so-and-so might judge me this way. And that kind of, I think, stems into all areas of our life. We just become more and more reserved as we grow up. And the book is definitely reminding me that it's good and important to get in touch with your inner child, if you want to say that, like your inner self, your truest personality, not just the personality that you've built to appease the world, I guess. So maybe this can motivate you to do some in internal reflection once this episode is over and think about if you're living your life for yourself or if you're living your life for others. I know that's a very deep thought, but you guys can reflect on that once this episode is over. After this quick little break, we're going to get into the episode with Dr. Joyce. I hope you all love it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. All right. So hi, everyone. We have another guest today. We have Dr. Joyce. Her Instagram is at Joyce the Dentist. I'm sure many of you are familiar with her. And she also has a YouTube page, which is really cool. But I'll let her introduce herself a little bit. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Haley. Um, my name is Dr. Joyce Kong for all your listeners. I am a cosmetic dentist located in Costa Mesa, California. So I own my own practice and um, I'm also super, super involved on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And I have a blog or a blog, blog, B-L-O-G. <laughs> That's awesome. So since you mentioned all of the social media channels and stuff, I might jump right into the questions I was wondering about marketing and branding. I watched one of your videos about like dental students having Instagrams and some tips for them, but I was hoping you could maybe expand upon some of that advice for dental students, maybe when they should start, what to be posting about. And I know one of the big things you mentioned was people are nervous about the transition from being a dental student on Instagram to being an actual dentist. So if you could just explain some of your insight on marketing and branding, I know it's probably a big topic. Yeah. Where do I start? <laughs> it's the, the world we live in right now is so weird because Instagram, like you have to have one nowadays just to operate a business. And I started my Instagram, obviously, after I opened my practice. And amongst people who have private practices, I would say that I jumped in a little bit sooner than a lot of the people. Nowadays, I'm noticing that the people who are most active on Instagram are actually dental students. And I learned how to do, how to use Instagram in the first place from a dental student when I was teaching at USC. Her name was Curiosity. I don't know if you guys follow her, but she's awesome. And I just remember seeing that all these dentists were joining Instagram, but not being like super, super active. And I saw that she was growing super fast. And so I asked her how to start Instagram and what it's all about. And she kind of gave me the lowdown. As far as dental students starting Instagram, I'm all for it. I know some dentists are kind of like, hey, you guys <laughs> get off this platform. <laughs> but I think it's really important for dental students to start 
growing their presence. And I think the sooner you start, the faster you start to understand life outside of dental school. So you don't want to wait until after you open a practice to start understanding how to market yourself and how to brand yourself. It's too late. And there's so much on your plate once you go into the real world and start opening your practice. There's like a lot to learn that they don't teach you in dental school, unfortunately. So while you're in dental school, I think it's really cool to start opening an Instagram and just seeing how that world works, how to brand yourself. I try not to say selling yourself. Um, it's not really selling yourself, but finding a way to put yourself out there is really important because when I graduated from dental school, I really didn't know how to market myself. Dental school teaches you pretty much to like just be a really good dentist and everyone will come. And I don't think that's true. Like I, that's how I was taught. I think that's traditionally what people are taught. Um, and not in just in dental school, but like probably all doctors are taught that too. But in order to be successful, once you leave dental school, you really need to learn business and marketing, um, so that you have patients sitting in your chair so that you can do the great dentistry that you want to do. So I have a kind of a follow-up question for that of jumping away from the whole, I guess it's still kind of about branding, but so owning your own practice, um, how is your, like, do you have an Instagram specifically for your practice as well as your own Joyce the Dennis Instagram, or is that kind of tied together? Oh, so I, <laughs> I have a lot of Instagram. Okay, I, I have I get a that. personal one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a personal one, and that's the one where I like kind of I just say whatever. I drop the f bomb. Like <laughs> I, will drink like three glasses of wine and still be on that one. And actually, I don't use that one very much anymore. But it is nice to have a place to do more personal things. Like for example, I don't post a lot about my husband on my professional one. My professional one is Joyce the Dentist. And then I have an additional one called Virtual Smiles OC, which I started when I started doing um, virtual smile consults. Okay. Yeah. I had, I had I asked on the podcast Instagram if anyone had questions for you and someone did submit a question about the virtual smile consultations. They were wondering if you could explain more about it. How did it work? How do you come up with the, how'd you come up with the idea for that? Well, I hate to say this, but it wasn't my idea. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, actually a platform that I use. So it's okay. called Smile Virtual. It was started by Dr. Brian Harris, and it's kind of like teledentistry, but just for cosmetic cases. I just heard about it. I thought it was really, really cool. What you do is you sign up, you pay a fee, and um, you have access to this HIPAA-compliant platform, and then people will send you pictures of their teeth. Now, the Smell Virtual platform is a great platform, but it's just a platform. So on top of that, you need to use like Instagram or Yelp or whatever it may be to actually reach patients. It's kind of like anything that you do in a private practice. Like let's say that you buy a super, super expensive, cool gadget. Nobody cares if nobody knows that you have it. So you always need a platform like Instagram or something to reach people. And that's another reason I think Instagram or social media is super, super important these days. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just saw Smile Virtual and I was like, this could totally work for me. I've grown my social platform. Um, I have a means of reaching people. And this is kind of the future. When I first took it on, it was last year, even before COVID had started. And during COVID, it was like a godsend because we weren't, 
I wasn't able to practice, but I could still do consults. And now that I'm opening my practice back up, I have like all these consultations that I've done over that time period. But it's all about being able to sense trends. I think um, being able to sense trends is super, super important. As a doctor and a practice owner, more so practice owner, if you can't sense trends, then you're always going to be behind, like a step behind. And I think being on Instagram helps you be, be able to sense those trends. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it did. I have a follow-up question about the consults. So are they all people kind of in your area that after the consults, if they feel like they need or want to have work done, they would come to you? Or do you sometimes have consults for someone across the country that's going to be going to a different dentist for the procedures? That's a really good question because that's something that kind of deters people from doing this smell virtual thing. Um, I think there's no guarantee. Like when somebody signs up and sends you a photo of their smile, there's no guarantee that they're not just trying to get a free consultation out of you. It could be somebody from across the United States. It could be somebody that's like right next door and really serious. So I record all of my consultations as if it's serious. Um, what I've found is that some people have been following me for enough time where they trust me. And like, even if they live in Chicago, they would still want to come to me for their work and doing this type of consultation helps bridge that gap. And so while they may not come in like immediately, they actually plan to come in. So they'll like book a flight and they'll find out all the details. Then they'll book their flight and come in and get their work done. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. So you're really reaching like a wide range of people. You're reaching a wider range of people, but you're also like taking a chance because a lot of people are not serious. And that's that's one of the things about my social platform is that I reached a lot of people that were not necessarily interested in cosmetic dentistry. They were just interested in just following a random person. But um, the reason I started the other Instagram, Virtual Smiles OC, was because that caters more to people who are specifically interested in cosmetic dentistry. So if you had like a family, like would you see families at your practice or do you really like solely focus on cosmetic cases? I do only like preventative, like cleanings just to keep everyone nice and clean. I do restorative. So on lace crowns, fillings, and then I do cosmetic dentistry. So I don't do anything else like extractions or root canals or things like that. Um, I really niche down my practice to just cater to those few procedures. How did you kind of figure out that that was what you were most like interested and good at? Was that through dental school or after you graduated? Did you kind of narrow that down? It was definitely after I found found that after I graduated from dental school, like I had no clue. (laughs) I I wanted to do everything. Um, Then I went to residency and I was doing everything. And even as an associate, I was doing everything. It was just because that was what was demanded of me. Like when you're a first time dentist, a lot of the jobs that you interview for, they're looking for someone who can do molar extractions and uh, molar root canals. And those are the jobs that I ended up interviewing for. And I ended up having to do those procedures 
And if I didn't, then I wouldn't get the job. So I did a lot, a lot of, especially root canals. I didn't do as many extractions when I was an associate. I did tons of root canals. Root canals are kind of like they're as easy or as hard as you make them. Like if you just look at an x-ray and you're like, oh, I filled that really well, then you could pat yourself on the back and go to sleep. But the more that you know about root canals, the more you realize that, you know, it's it's all about how it um, does in the long term. And when you're an associate and you're doing root canals, a lot of times you're not there in like 10 years to see how your root canal ended up being. I always ended up sending them to a specialist in practice. I decided that's like what I want to do. I want to send them to a specialist. And then a specialist that I trust, especially because when I purchased my practice, the root canals were being done by this particular specialist. And I've, I've been seeing his root canals be really successful over years and years and years and years. Yeah. So that mentioning you purchasing your practice kind of leads into one of my other questions about how you got started with owning a practice. Like what was your timeline upon graduating dental school and then to purchasing your practice? Yeah. So I graduated from dental school in 2010. Then I went to residency in New York. Um, It's just a one-year residency. And then after that, I went into private practice in New York. So I stayed in New York which pissed off my parents, but (laughs) I was like determined to stay there and hang out and have fun. And I was working as an associate in several different practices. Then in 2013-ish, I came back to California because I met my husband and he's from California. And then I opened my own practice in 2014. So four, four years after dental school. To me, that seems fast, <laughs> but oh, really? Awesome. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I feel like the four years that I'm in dental school are going to go by so quick. So I feel like four years after graduating would also feel like it goes by quick. But I guess that's kind of an ideal timeline. That's awesome. I think it's so different for everyone. Like for yeah. me, I graduated from dental school, and this is the hard thing: is that you don't know where you ended up after you graduate from dental school. You don't know if you're like a really proficient dentist or you don't know if you're like one of those dangerous dentists that need to have a little bit more training. Sometimes you have like a feeling like I totally don't feel prepared. Some people feel that. But for me, I didn't really do residency because I felt like I needed more training. I felt like I could go and do private practice as long as someone was there to like sort of mentor me. Um, I just did the residency thing because I wanted to hang out in New York. And then by the time I did residency, I found that I was comparing myself to people who came from all over. And I was like, wow, I actually am pretty proficient at what I'm doing. I just need to work on my speed. So that's what I did in residencies, work on my speed. And then after that, when I went into private practice, there's still a learning curve because now it's not like an ideal environment and everything's on you. It's like a lot of pressure, but it, it was nice to have like those stepping stones where you just grow little by little by little instead of like just being thrown into the real world. Would your interview process for like applying to be an associate somewhere be different since you were in residency and already had like your board certifications opposed to someone that is like interviewing during their last year of dental school? Like how did your interviews work? My interviews were different because I was in New York and in New York, everybody goes to residency. So being in residency didn't give you a leg up in New York. Everyone had that. And um, there was like a couple months where I couldn't work because I got my license by reciprocity through doing residency. So for like a couple months, I didn't have my license. And I tried to send out my my, uh, my CV to all these job interviews, but they... 
it was like a waste of time for me and them because I didn't have my license yet and they needed someone like right away. You talked about that after you graduated, you did your residency program, but is there anything that you wish you kind of also did either during dental school or right after dental school that would have prepared you better for your job now or just anything in general for like maybe things you wish you did or there are no regrets with that? I don't really have too many just because Instagram and social media wasn't that big back in the day. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't like a need to have to learn that. There are all these other skills, but I don't know if learning those would have necessarily directly helped me as a practice owner. I just feel like these days there are so many resources for new dentists that it's good. It's really good that you have the resources, but it's also bad because... <laughs> you kind of have this like feeling that you need to be so prepared before you start going into private practice. And what I've found is that sometimes if you just do it, you'll learn. But when you have all these resources, it kind of like makes you feel like like you can't move forward unless you learn everything. And there's just no way you're going to learn everything without, without doing it. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you have any, this is kind of very broad, but any general tips for practice ownership, like running a successful practice, whether it's financially, like with the team setting, really anything. General tips. Oh my God. I don't know. There's There's like I said, there's (laughs) so many, there's so many resources. And I feel like I would I would choose at least one of those resources. Like, do you know who Dr. David Rice is? Yes, I've seen uh, his he he's Ignite like DDS, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like those types of things. I would choose just one. There's like him, there's the dental nachos. There's like tons of different resources. I would choose just one and go through the course just to get a general idea of what you need to know that they don't teach you in dental school. Just like that, having that knowledge would be, would have been really, really nice. And then from there on, you just, you just learn. I think just by connecting with other dentists and having resources of people that you can reach out to when you don't know how to do something. That's something that I think everyone can do at at whatever level they're at. So like while they're in dental school, just keep growing, keep, keep growing your network, keep growing. Like, for example, a lot of people reach out to me on Instagram and they ask me a lot of stuff and I'm like, good for you because back in the day I didn't have anyone to ask. But now Instagram makes it so easy to reach out to people who have done it and are more than willing to help um, help people who are doing it at the time. Yeah, thank you for those. Um, so do you feel like you learned anything about running a practice while you were working as an associate or was it like you showed up to work, did the procedures and went home? I thought about that literally the other day. (laughs) It's funny because I sit down and I write these like Instagram posts and I think about all this stuff. Like, could I have done things better? Did it prepare me? As far as being an associate, I thought by the end of being an associate, I knew that I was a valuable associate and that people would ask for me continuously. I knew how fast I could do certain procedures. I knew I was good at certain procedures. So there's like a lot that you learn as an associate in terms of like the technical stuff. Um, and also just building your own confidence in that you are really good because you can always compare against like the owner doctor and you can compare against the other associate. But then when you go into private practice, you're all by yourself and you're like, am I a good dentist? Like, There's just no way to know. I think that by the end of being an associate, when I had gained all that confidence, I thought I could run my own practice. Like there's, 
a portion of me that was like, I should just do this on my own because I'm giving away so much of my production to the owner. And, um, at this point, you know, the owner needs me more than I need her. And I would think like that. But then after actually opening a practice, I realized I don't know the half of it. I don't know anything that would happen. If that practice that I used to work at, all the financial stuff, the front office would take care of. And I would just Mm -hmm. treat and plan everything. I would do it to the way that they like me to do it. And then the patient would go outside and then all the finances would be taken care of outside. So I didn't really realize how big finances and insurance and all that was and how complicated it was. I thought it was just a matter of like being able to present something really well so that patients can understand the the need to do it. And like, that's, that, that's like what makes you a really good dentist, but actually it's like a two-parter thing. Like you have to be very good at communicating what they need and then let them know that they need this done. And then once they go out, like someone has to close the deal. I did not know that. (laughs) So for, because you hadn't had much experience with that, is that something you're heavily involved in and your practice now, or do you have like financial staff that mostly handles that? This is where I'm like very, very lucky, but also if something bad happens, I'll be pretty screwed (laughs) (laughs) out of all the staff, my front office staff. Um, she's the one that's been with me since the beginning after I took over the practice, she's the one that came with the practice and she just handles everything. She's so good at insurance and she's very by the book. Um, so that's like the one thing that is on my side is that I don't have a practice where I'm like writing off a lot of things. Like we collect every penny up front. Yeah. There's like no, no monkey business with my practice. Everything is pretty legit and pretty straightforward. And so I can keep track of all of the finances because if you can't do that, then you don't know where all the money's going and someone could easily steal from you. But let's say that my front office lady decided to quit like tomorrow and leaves. I would have a lot of figuring out to do in terms of how to do insurance. I could do enough. I know enough about front office, but long-term, I would need to sit down and figure out how to do all of the nitty-gritty insurance stuff that she does for me every day. So kind of following up on that about like building your team and your staff at your practice, how did you kind of figure out since you, you purchased a practice from someone else. So there was already Mm -hmm. some like established patients. So you already had like probably the need for like a few hygienists and like, did you have an associate right away when you bought it or did that something a couple of years later you looked into getting an associate? Oh no. The practice was very small when I took it. Oh, over. okay. It okay. Like really, really. So it's almost like doing a startup, but with a small base of patients. That's what I wanted to do. I didn't want the huge financial risk of starting from scratch, scratch, Um, So I bought a small practice where I was able to meet overhead from day one. And there was a small patient base, a really nice, you know, loyal patient base that I started off with. And I was doing all the cleanings. The previous doctor was doing all the cleanings. So I was doing all the cleanings when I took over. After that, we started to grow at a certain point. Then I got a hygienist and then I got an associate doctor when I decided to start teaching at USC just so that we could stay open um, a couple more days. Got it. So 
Did you, when you were looking for this practice to purchase, you said you kind of had an idea of what you were looking for. How quick was the process of like finding the right one? Do you just kind of like shop around online or was it word of mouth? No, it's actually really hard. Um, yeah, I imagine there, there is no perfect practice. So that's, that's something that I didn't really realize either. I was looking, I was looking even when I was in New York, I would look at all of the, um, I would look at all the broker bulletin things and then see what practices were coming out. And then if there was one that I was truly, truly interested in, I would actually send my mom to go look at it. <laughs> and then there were a couple that seemed good. And, um, because I had not quit my job or like moved from New York, I, I didn't like jump on it. But as soon as I moved back to California, I was looking really, really seriously, but I couldn't find anything for quite a while because a lot of the practices that come up there, there's something wrong with each and every one of them. <laughs> they're yeah. either like perfect and um, they're either, some of them are perfect. They have a lot of patients, really good, goodwill, um, a lot of uh, really, really loyal staff, but then it's old and outdated. Um, so you'll find like a mixture of all of those different things. And this one came fully digital. It was two chairs in a really nice area. And it was just like what I was looking for. And so in the beginning, you don't really know what you're looking for. It's kind of like looking for a house. You don't really know exactly what makes you happy until you start looking and then find out what goes at a certain rate, like what kind of house you want at a certain rate. And then you kind of calibrate your expectations. So you did mention teaching at USC and I did read a post on Instagram. I think it was actually a comment that you made on Dr. Jordan Brown's video or something about like why you went into teaching and your experience with that. Would you be able to talk a little bit more about it? Sure. Um, I taught at USC from 2014 and I quit in, in January. So from 2014 to 2020. And I started off as an adjunct faculty. Um, so what that means, I don't know if a lot of people know what that is, but that's kind of like a volunteer fac faculty. I was going okay. there once a week on Thursday at USC adjunct faculty are not paid. I think in certain schools, they are paid at least like a nominal amount, but at USC, everyone who's adjunct is, is a uh, unpaid faculty. And I think that surprises a lot of people. So like basically yeah, all these people surprised. are volunteering. <laughs> all these yeah, people are volunteering. And there's only wow. a few that are actually being paid. So I was doing that for a couple of years and then um, a paid position came, came about and they asked me to come on board. And like, so I had to go through the interview process and everything, but because I had been calibrated to the way that they're teaching and all that, it was easy to bring me on board. And at first I was like, at first when they asked me to come on board, I was like, um, I don't know how you expect me to <laughs> join you guys. Like I have a real job over there. Like my practice yeah. is my real job. But then when I thought about it, I was like, maybe I'll try it out because you never know if you'll like teaching and you don't, you never know if you'll like doing something unless you do it. And so I kind of rearranged my practice. That's when I hired my associate. And then, um, cause they demanded two and a half days at least being at the school, which is a big, big sacrifice for any private practice owner. So I ended up, um, rearranging my schedule. So I'd be two and a half days over there, two and a half days in my practice. And then one full day, my associate would take over. 
And I was pretty much doing that until the very end, uh, working at USC two and a half days, sometimes three days, certain trimesters. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. And then as the reason you left is so you could stop making the sacrifice, like you said, and put more time into your practice. I think there's a lot of reasons I left. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You definitely don't need to get into it. If you're not comfortable, we can move on. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, generally, yes. I think that at a certain point you outgrow a certain job and um, when I first started teaching, I, I, by the way, I really enjoyed the teaching and, um, I think the experience itself was really good. Just being able to go to a school and see like what it's all about and connect with students. But then there came a point where I think I felt like I outgrew the position, you know, there's like no upward mobility. You know, I work for myself. I'm kind of like my own boss. It's hard to toggle between being like boss and then being like almost like a nobody nobody professor because (laughs) and I hate saying that but when you're when you're in a big school system if you're even if you're an assistant clinical professor which is what I was you have no power you have no power to actually make any changes and so you start seeing all these things that are like that that could be run better or like you kind of want to make your own mark but then you can't the same way that you would you can't do the same things that you would in your own private practice. So that becomes really frustrating because you just start like becoming like a cog in the system. And when you're not like, when you're, how do I say it? When your entire being is not made for being an employee, it's, it's hard to continue being an employee. Yeah. That makes complete sense. So, um, no, no, it does make sense that I could see how that'd be super frustrating. And I think personality types of many dentists that would just get frustrating. I feel like, because they are just so like, like go getter, like business mindset, like all different kinds, everyone's different, obviously, but I could see that being frustrating, just kind of being stagnant and everything. It is. And it's hard because, you know, I think that students do like to some degree deserve better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think dental school, there's just like such a conflict in dental school where students are paying so much money for a certain degree of education. And then dental school is just run a certain way. And they expect students to like either adapt to the way that dental schools run or it just, it, it's hard for students Um, But it's also hard for faculty because the administration controls everything. And it's just like such a crazy dynamic that I didn't really realize that was a dynamic in academia until I was there. And I was like, as soon as I found out, I was like, I can't be here anymore. (laughs) It's too much stress. Yeah. Um, Kind of what you were just saying made me think about this question that I asked some people, especially I like to ask dentists, do you have an opinion? Like, does it matter where you go to dental school? People are always on two fences about that. Like if you're between two schools, people just always say, pick the cheapest. What's your opinion about that? Oh yeah. I always see people who are super opinionated about that. Um, I think that it's really hard to say. <laughs> as far as my opinion I think it's really hard to say I went to UOP and um, I was class of 2010 and I really really 
I didn't enjoy my experience in dental school, but I, I did enjoy my experience. I thought UOP was like a really good school. It prepared me really well. And if that's the case, I think it was worth every penny. But um, there are certain schools, I think, <laughs> in my opinion, that are probably yeah. not, they probably depend on their students going to residency these days. And I just think that's like the sad truth is that dental schools are not fully preparing their dental students um, to be ready for private practice. They're sort of depending on them to go to residency, which is sad after spending so much money. So if there's a school that will prepare you to the degree that you need to do private practice and skip that extra year of residency, I think it's something that you should consider spending your money on. But if you're going to like a whatever school anyway, then go to the cheapest one. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I saw it too. I was like, well, it depends what your options are. It's very subjective on like yes, what schools options. are you looking at? <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't compare all whatever 60 schools. Like I'm, they're kind of going to be different, whatever your little batch they're looking at is. Okay, but we are getting close to wrapping up. My last question I always like to ask people because they give very different answers for everyone, but how do you think dentistry fits into your overall life goals? I don't, I don't really know the answer to that. I know it's very, (laughs) my goals keep changing. Very, Yeah. It's very forward thinking. And yeah, I think what's nice about dentistry is that I can do a lot more than I thought. Like for example, I went into academia for a little while and then now I'm doing dentistry, but I'm also doing social media. Um, So I think it's all about, reserving the right to control that power for you to design your own life. I think that people become really unhappy in life if if they feel like they don't have control, like they feel like they have to do something that they're not happy doing. For example, like you could easily feel like that in private practice. Like you could feel like, oh man, I have to go. And it's like so stressful. But for me, what I've done is I've controlled the amount of days that I work and limited that even though it's sort of a sacrifice in terms of how much I make so that I could be happy. And I know that finding that balance is really important for me so that I could do this and I could do so that I could do private practice and do something else that I enjoy, whether it be academia or social media. But I think that a lot of people don't realize that they can control that. I think a lot of people go into dentistry, they go into private practice and they're like, they trap themselves into having to be like a workhorse in order to pay all their overhead and all their bills. And so it just depends on what you think is important for me. Having that balance is important. And also I have no balance at the same time. Like I'm totally like (laughs) super, super extreme about the way that I do things, but in a way it's, it's balanced for me um, because it just makes me happy. Awesome. Thank you for that. So do you have any closing advice for dental students or maybe even pre-dental students listening to this? Hmm. I know we already covered a lot, so it's hard if there's any lingering thoughts you want to get out to people. (laughs) I think that um, if you're in dental school or pre-dental or at least dental school, like make the most that you can out of your dental school experience. Because what I find is that people, they're very gung-ho when they first start and then they get kind of lazy. (laughs) once they get inside because they get burned out. And um, this is what happened to me too. I started getting really, really like focused on the small nitty gritty things instead of keeping the big picture in mind. You always have to keep the big picture in mind. And like, sometimes, you know, what would happen to me in dental school is like some people would argue me to the death for like half of a point on their homework. And I'm like, really? 
really like keep the big picture in mind, like learn what you need to do. Um, be nice. Don't like, you know, piss everyone off, but <laughs> by being, by being a jerk and then just try to like, keep it cool in dental school, like make friends, do all the things. Don't get too caught up in the small things. It's which I know is like super, super hard. Like I had a problem with that too, but don't get too caught up in the small things. Hey, thank you. So, um, I assume the best way if people do have more questions to get in touch with you is on Instagram at Joyce the Dennis, correct? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty active on my DMs. Okay. And if you want to watch my vlogs, I'm pretty active on the comments as well. Yeah, definitely. I will have, um, your channel for YouTube in the description of the podcast, as well as a link to your Instagram if people want to check it out. So thank you so much for chatting today. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for having me oh my god pregnancy brain is real I feel like every time I start talking like I lose my train of thought and I can't finish my thoughts so I'm like really interested to see how this turns out okay so that is the end of this episode I hope you all really liked it and could learn a thing or two from Dr. Joyce I know that I did and every episode with a different speaker does leave me feeling very motivated and this one did not disappoint so I do hope you all liked it definitely reach out to me on Instagram at dental download podcast to let me know what you thought of the episode and to keep up with future episodes I have a ton of guests coming up but next week in particular is going to be a solo episode I prefer to alternate between a guest and a solo episode, guest solo episode. So next week, we're going to be talking all about the importance of getting involved early and how to do so. So that's going to stem all the way from being a pre-dental student and then also what I've learned so far starting off dental school, what kind of getting involved means, at least for me, and what I know you can gain from it. So I think it's going to be a pretty insightful episode if you are pre-dental or new and young in dental school. I hope you guys are excited to listen to that as well, and I will talk to you next Monday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.